Welcome to an Impact Ministries production brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number five in this incredible series on the mysteries of the New Covenant. You know something? We have covered some incredible materials, but I'm telling you what, it's about to get real here. And I just want you to know something. This is going to challenge so many things that you've ever believed about God, but it's going to answer almost all the questions you've had about why things aren't working, about why this thing is not going down the way that you anticipated it would whenever you gave your life to Jesus. So again, we're talking today about the covenant of peace. Now, I got to tell you, I've been preaching the gospel for almost a half a century, and it was a lot of years, it was several years before I came to realize that the actual official name of the covenant that God created in Jesus was called the covenant of peace. Now, imagine that, that you could, you could spend years as a Christian not even knowing the name of the covenant. Now you say, well, wh why is the name of the covenant so incredibly important? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because the name of the covenant helps you understand things about the covenant that there is no way you could understand if you don't realize it's called the covenant of peace. The covenant of peace defines really some of the boundaries of this covenant. You know something, it's really important that you understand this. And remember, we understand so many things that Jesus did for us in the new covenant based on uh, what God revealed and the types and the shadows of the Old Testament and of the Old Covenant. Now, in the, in the Old Covenant, we know that the children of Israel, they brought sacrifices to God. What we fail to understand, though, is that we have been taught that those sacrifices were brought to appease God and, and to compel God to respond to them. Well, actually, that's not correct. You know, one of the very first things God began to teach the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, which is a type of us coming out of the world, is that He is holy, therefore they should be holy. Now, again, religion has mystified holiness. Uh, you know, righteousness and holiness are really the key things that we need to understand if we're going to live in absolute victory all the time. But the problem is religion masters in redefining words so that you, you think that you're grasping a truth when in reality uh, you're using the right terminology, but it's not really the truth. You know, I remember one time when I was a new believer, I had some guys come and knock on my door and they both had little badges that said elder so-and-so and elder so-and-so. And, and uh, they said they want to come in and talk to me about about Jehovah God. And I'm like, well, okay. So, you know, you start talking to them. And so I asked them, uh, so do you believe in the new birth? Oh yes, we believe in the new birth. So we talked for a few minutes. I thought this really sounds, what they're saying sounds so strange. I said, well, wait a minute. So uh, how, how do you define the new birth? First of all, how do you think a person gets born again? Well, you get born again by going out here and knocking on doors. And if you knock on enough doors, then, then God will give you the new birth. Well, what do you call in the new birth? 
They didn't define the new birth the way Jesus did. They used the right words, wrong definitions. And I'm telling you, I've you know, I've asked that question of so many people. I've asked, I have asked several different denominational leaders to just define the new birth for me. And it's amazing how many of them did not define the new birth uh, based on how Jesus defined it. And, you know, he is kind of like our Lord and Savior. So he's the one we really need to, to be listening to. He's the one we need to be, be paying attention to. Well, when we think about holiness, we tend to think about Pentecostal holiness. If you have any religious background, and Pentecostal holiness was all about dressing 50 years out of date. Uh, you know, it was a sin to wear makeup. It was a sin to cut your hair. It was a sin to wear your dress to your shorts. It was a sin. You know, every it was all about what was sin and all the external things that you needed to do to to be holy, to be different. Well, actually. The, the word, one of the best ways to understand the word holy is to understand the opposite of the word holy, and the opposite of the word holy is common. Now, sanctification is the process whereby you make something holy. And so in the utensils that were used for offerings and used in the temple, they were sanctified, they were set apart. That's what the word sanctified means. They were set apart, they were dedicated unto the Lord. This means that because they were dedicated to the Lord, they would not be used for a common purpose. In other words, the high priest didn't go there and use all these utensils, making these sacrifices to God, and then wash them and take them home and eat his dinner on them. No, they were set apart for an uncommon purpose. So God started right off the bat saying, you've got to realize I am uncommon. I am not like any god that you have ever heard of. I am not like the pagan gods. I am not like the gods of the Egyptians that you have been, that you have been uh, trained to believe and, and that have uh, uh, created your sense of, uh, of, of who God is. I, I am uncommon. And, well, why was he uncommon? Well, because number one, he was not gonna be their master. He was gonna be their father. Number two, he was going to define himself by his name and by his word and by, and by his covenant so that you could always know exactly who he was and always know exactly what to expect of him. You know what? That was totally different than had ever been done anywhere in the pagan world because the whole pagan concept of the gods were that they, they were in control of everything and they controlled your fate, they controlled your destiny, and you were a pawn, and they could do anything they wanted to you, and they could change their mind about anything, they could play tricks on you. And, you know, God said, I am not like that. As a matter of fact, uh, not only uh, uh, does God say, I'm going to define myself by my word, my name, so you can always know what to predict of me, but he also says, I am not in control of everything. Uh, I've given you authority. I've made you in my likeness and image, and I am offering things to you. You will choose them if you trust me. God is a faith God. He has always been a faith God. So the ancient sacrifices that the children of Israel brought, they were not brought as a bribe to compel God to come and keep his promises as it is in the pagan world. Now stop and think about it. So much of what we have been taught about faith is really, uh, it's really an effort to force God to do something that evidently we don't believe he really wants to do uh, because if he wanted to do it, we wouldn't have to force him to do it with our faith. Uh, 
No, the, the sacrifices were made to engage our heart with God because he made us promises. And the fact that we were not experiencing those promises meant that in our heart, we were not trusting him. So all of the offerings were designed to influence us to draw near to God, not to influence God to draw near to us. Now, one of the most celebrated offerings of the Old Testament is the peace offering. The peace offering is an offering that was made not to uh, get God to be at peace with you, but it was really a celebration of the fact that God was at peace with you and that, in fact, you were experiencing that peace in your heart. So let's say that you, 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 know, you just feel disconnected from God, or maybe you do something selfish and, and you know in your, you've violated your conscience, you know in your heart that, you, that, that you've done something that's unacceptable, that doesn't reflect the character and the nature of God, that's not, you know, not walking in love toward your spouse or your children or your neighbor or whatever. And so you want to, you want to, come, you want to come draw back to God, not get God to draw near to you. And so let's say you bring a, a, a sin offering and in this sin offering, what you're seeking to do is you're seeking to cleanse your conscience of this action that you have done. This is, you know, this is really what first John, the first chapter is all about. People totally misunderstand the first, the chapter of first John and, and, and really twist what, what it means there. And so, uh, you know, just like now we don't, come and confess our sins to try to get Jesus to forgive us. We come and confess our sins because he's already died and paid the price and purchased our forgiveness, but we want our heart to engage with him. We want our heart to experience this forgiveness that is given. So so you, you, you bring an offering, and I'm not going to go through the whole offering process. We just really don't have time for that right now. And we'll cover that some more at another point in time. And by the way, if you read my book, The Gospel of Peace, or if you get the in-depth series on the mysteries of the new covenant, you know, I go into great detail in this. And, you know, people say, well, wh why don't you do this here in the program? Well, you know, this program is going to be, uh, or this series is going to be about eight weeks long. And uh, for most of you, you don't want to go into a series any more than that. But for those of you who want more, who want to go deeper, who want to understand more about the application of this, this is why we make this series. So you can get my series on the mysteries of the new covenant, and you can get my book, The Gospel of Peace, will help you understand details about this that will help you grasp more about what Jesus has done for you through his death, burial, and resurrection. So anyhow... So let's say, let's say, so you bring an offering because you're saying, I, you know, I, I'm, God, I'm coming to you because you, you, you promised the fact that you'd never leave me, you never fail me, you never forsake me, you, that you're a loving, forgiving father. So I'm, I'm coming to you. Say, cleanse me, God. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to carry this around. And, and really, that's what we do with Jesus. We free ourselves from a guilty conscience. The, the sin's been forgiven, but we have to free our conscience by making choices. And the Bible says that, that really when we do this, it's sort of like it's sort of like we re-engage with the blood of Jesus that purges our conscience, gives us a clear conscience. And so out of that clear conscience, when, when the sense of guilt is removed, we stop running away from God. We stop justifying the selfish or unkind things that we've done. And we're able, we're able to own them, and, but we're also able to own the forgiveness that Jesus purchased for us. You know, when confessing the sin, see, when you haven't owned something, then you can't own the forgiveness for it. 
when you haven't when you when you haven't taken ownership of the crime, you can't take ownership of forgiveness. So anyhow, the children is that they would come, and so and so part of their celebration was that they would also bring a peace offering. Now, what this peace offering was about, it was the fact that that in their heart, their conscience is free. They are experiencing peace between them and God. Now, what's really interesting about this is the Hebrew word for peace, which is, which is the word shalom. Uh, th- this word for peace uh, is very similar to the word peace in, in the New Covenant. And so in the New Covenant, just like in the Old Covenant or New Testament, like in the Old Testament, the word for peace is more than just a tranquil state of mind. The word for peace gets into these concepts of, of, of healing, prosperity, uh, uh, blessing, all of, all of these kinds of things that have to do with what we have in Jesus. And the reason we have this tranquil state of mind is because we, we realize that we have access to all of the provision, all of the, all the resources of God. So, so the, the children of Israel would come and what they would do is then they would take, they would take their peace offering. This was not an offering that, that the priest kept or that the or that you know a burnt offering that was given to God. They would take that offering and they would go out uh, where all the people were that day that were celebrating reconnecting their heart with God. And they would have this big feast and they would eat this offering together. They would share their testimonies about, you know, I, I wandered away from God. They would talk about what they did and how that God was true to his word and God restored them and God brought their lives back together. So, so we need to understand that when the Bible talks about peace with God, it's talking about peace made through the offering of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his own life, of his own blood. And it brings us into a place, because we get baptized in him, where we literally experience all that we have, all the forgiveness, all the mercy, all the kindness, but we also experience all of the resources of God. Now, there is a reason that we struggle with trusting God. There's a reason we struggle with faith because, first of all, again, faith is one of those words that has been kind of not completely twisted but slightly redefined so that faith has been defined as a force that makes something happen. Faith moves God. Faith. So, you know, that really can't be theologically exactly correct because, uh, we're not trying to move God. That's dead works. When the Bible talks about repentance from dead works, is one of the foundations of the faith. It starts out by saying, I, you know, I don't have to move God. God doesn't need to be moved. I don't have to influence God. I am not attempting to get God to respond to me. I am deciding whether or not I trust him. And faith is when I respond to him in complete and absolute trust. But the problem is, you know, first of all, the whole world thinks that God is mad at them. And then they think that either through their behavior or through having enough faith or through, uh, or through you know, enough, quote, quote, holy living, somehow we're going to get God to be at peace with us. And I'm telling you what, that is so upside down, so warped and so crooked, it is no wonder the world hates God. Listen to this. In Isaiah 52, 
Verse 3 says, For thus says the Lord, You have sold your soul for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. Now understand, this is going into what is happening in the nation of Israel. And, you know, there is an immediate fulfillment of this prophecy, but then there's also the bigger fulfillment of this prophecy. And we know it's fulfilled in a larger way in the New Covenant because Paul quotes this scripture in Romans chapter 2. So he says, He's telling him, he said, look, you guys are going into slavery. And they were going into slavery to another nation. He says, for thus says the Lord, my people went down at first to Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrians oppressed. So you got oppressed by the Egyptians. Then you got oppressed by the Assyrians. And he says, and it's all without cause. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing. And those who rule over them... Uh, make them well, says the Lord, and my name is blasphemed continually every day. Well, you have to realize the people that were ruling over them ultimately, you know, were these nations, these oppressive nations. But what caused them to fall to these oppressive nations was what their religious leaders taught them those people that ruled over them. And so those people taught them corrupt things about God. And ultimately, as it is today, everybody, everybody believes that every bad thing that comes into their life is somehow God doing something to them to teach them something, to you know, to uh, punish them for something, to bring some penalty in, into their life. And so this is what he's talking about. He says, the people who are ruling over you, the people that are teaching you, the people that are influencing the way you think, they take you into oppression and you wail and mourn. And listen to this, what he says. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. People blaspheme God all over the world because the oppression that they're in is really the indirect result of how their leaders have influenced them to see and what they believe about God, because they have not entered into that place of peace with God, of recognizing through the Lord Jesus Christ, God has made peace with us. And because we're in this place of peace, we have access to all of his resources. God is not trying to hurt us. He's not trying to get us. He's not trying to bring pain into life. So he goes on to say, therefore, and one translation uh, says, says that the day will come when they'll know my name and they'll see me as I am. That's one translation. The New King James says, therefore my people shall know my name, therefore they shall know in that day that I am who speaks, and behold, it is I am, or it is I. And he says, and, and when they see me as I am, when they recognize my voice, instead of the voice of everybody else that's influencing them, he says, here's what they'll say. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news, not bad news. You know, one of the, before I understood the use of the term, the covenant of peace and the gospel of peace, I used to call it the good news gospel because there was a, a time early in my walk with God. You know, I was out winning people to Jesus. I was influencing lives. I was, you know, I was just out doing it. I was living the life. And I'll never forget one time the Lord spoke to me one because I was kind of you know kind of proud of myself as I win the loss. Nobody else that I knew was. I was doing stuff I had never seen a Christian do. I'd never heard of another Christian doing. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, "You know, uh, uh, if you'll just always preach the gospel, you will really see results." I thought, "I am seeing results. What are you talking about? If I would preach the gospel." 
I'll never forget the Lord spoke to me and said, if it's not good news, it is not the gospel. And he began to deal with me about going through the things that I'm preaching and the things that I'm teaching and how much of them were based on the good news of what we have in Jesus and how many of those things were based on bad news, uh, based on negativity. And so it says that when people see God as he is, it will be because or they will say, how beautiful in the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news, who proclaim peace. Now, in the book of Romans, where Paul quotes this passage of Scripture, he says, who proclaim the gospel of peace. And then he says, who bring glad tidings of good things, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now, let me tell you something. God doesn't reign in the sense that he is in control of everything that happens in the world. He gave the, he gave the control of planet Earth to man. We have authority of everything that's happening here. Everything that is happening here is happening because of what human beings do who either trust God and establish uh, God's truth in the world, or they don't and they, they establish Luciferian lives. Now, I want to ask you this, and you know, I've asked thousands of people this, but, but when you came to Jesus, did, did anybody preach the gospel of peace to you? Well, you know what? For most of you, uh, the answer would be a very resounding no. I didn't even know there was a gospel of peace. It kind of reminds me whenever, uh, whenever Paul uh, came, I believe it was, to the Ephesians, and said, uh, uh, have, you received the, have you received the Spirit since you believed? And they said, what? what? We didn't even know there was a Spirit. Well, well why didn't they? Well, because of what they, what they heard, the, the message that they heard, which really wasn't the gospel. It was a message that Apollos had preached to them. It wasn't even about the resurrection of Jesus. So they considered themselves to be Christians. They weren't even born again and never even knew anything about the Holy Spirit. So Romans lays out this interesting progression that says, well, the scripture says, whoever believes in him shall not be put to shame. That's where I want to live, never being put to shame. And it says, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now remember, that, that word saved gets into the whole idea of saved, healed, delivered, blessed, prosper, protected, made whole, set apart. In other words, every aspect, every benefit of the new covenant. So, so we want to call on the name of the Lord, but you say, well, wait a minute. I didn't get healed when I called on the name of the Lord, or I didn't experience this. I didn't come out of poverty. I didn't come out of lack. Well, let's kind of go through this, this progression because now, now Paul breaks this down. I'm just, I'm just reading the subsequent verses. See, we call on God based on what we believe in. In other words, the faith uh, the purpose, what we're trusting God for, is based on what we believe about him. Verse 14 says, so how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? So you got to believe first. But where do those beliefs come from? Well, it says, how shall they believe in whom they have not heard? So our beliefs are based on what we heard. Well, how, where did we hear it? Well, we we heard this from preachers. We heard this from teachers. We heard this from, from the people who, who led us to Jesus. And this is what Paul was talking about. People go into captivity for absolutely no reason. Why? Because their leaders, the people that influence them, misrepresent who God is. Let me tell you something. When Moses was leading the children of Israel 
to the promised land. The reason Moses could not enter the promised land is because he misrepresented God. When Moses got angry with the people and God told him to speak to the rock, and the rock was a type of Christ, he didn't speak to the rock, he smote the rock with his rod. He misrepresented God as being angry with the people when the real truth is it was Moses who was angry with people. So he goes on to say, and verse 15, how shall they preach unless they're sent? Well, so in other words, you're only going to, you're going to hear something based on some preacher, some teacher, some Christian telling you something about God. And then Paul quotes that very passage of scripture where he says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So faith, believing, is determined by how the message that we hear is revealing God. Now, what's interesting, if you put this into context, now if you lift this out of context, you just twist up the rest of these scriptures here. So he goes on to say something. Let's just look at this. In verse 16, he says, But they have not all obeyed or yielded to uh, the gospel as, as God presents it himself. He says, For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? He says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So many people take that. I can remember hearing as a new believer. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Well, you know, faith doesn't come if you keep hearing something that's not true. Faith is trust. Faith is not a force that makes God do something. Faith is trust. Faith believes what God has already done through the Lord Jesus Christ. If you hear the gospel of peace, God has made peace with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. He has established a covenant of peace which says all of his resources are yours through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, all the promises are yours because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are delivered from all the curses of the law because of the death and the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are qualified for the inheritance of the kingdom of light because you are in the Lord Jesus Christ. I got news for you that causes you to trust God. So in context here, he's, he's saying that faith comes because we hear the word of God that was preached to us by someone who is preaching the gospel of peace. Now, 1 Peter 1.9 is a scripture that has just influenced me all of my life. And 1 Peter 1.9 says this in the New International Version. The King James says you're receiving the end of your faith. And I, I, the New International Version clears that up and is a little more true to the original uh, language. It says you're receiving the goal of your faith. So my question is, what's the goal of your faith? Did you come to, to God in a way that you heard a message about God meeting all of your needs, fulfilling all of your desires, about God being good and only God, about God giving you the gift of righteousness so you never have to be afraid, you never have to be ashamed, and when you stumble, you get right back up and you know that forgiveness is already yours? Do you find yourself having to grovel and, 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 and be ashamed? You know, yes, I, listen, if I fail, I do have you know, I, I do have a sense of that's yucky, that's terrible, that's horrible. And and I can't, I'm, sometimes I'm ashamed of my behavior, but I don't stay there and live in shame. You stand up and you experience what God has done for you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you something. That is the journey that God has called us to. He has called us to start out believing 
from the very beginning that we have a covenant of peace and that all that we need for life and godliness is ours through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know something, just come back next week. We're going to keep following us. And by the way, don't forget World Changer Weekend, third weekend in July. Man, I'm telling you something, we're going to have a party. We're going to have great worship. We're going to have a celebration of praise. It's going to be a weekend that you will remember forever. So make plans to be here or check it out. Go to our to our website, drjimrichard.com or impactministries.com. Check it out. And you can either participate online or you can participate here live in the celebration. I'm going to talk to you again next week. I can't wait to take this a little farther. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.